You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tactical Kitchen Show. What episode is this? Don't let me mess it up. It's episode 28. (laughs) Okay. So, um, this week, we got the week right, Mm -hmm. but what are we going to talk about? Well, a lot of stuff went on this week. Tons of stuff going on in, in uh, what I like to call the nutrition wars going on in, in society. It seems like uh, vegans and carnivores are, are going at it left and right on the interwebs. Yeah. I, the, so this last week, I'm going to say that I spent hours listening to podcasts and keeping up with what's going on in this world. Thank you, Joe Rogan, for sucking up most of my time this last week. <laughs> I know. I mean, when Joe Rogan does, what was it, a four-hour podcast? Yeah, it was a four-hour podcast with Chris Kresser and with um, Joe Kahn, the vegan guy, which was, you know, I have to say, it that was like the World Series or the Super Bowl of the nutrition world for this last week. Yeah, it was fun. And that's great. I love it that people are doing that because the conversation is out there in the open and everybody gets to hear it. So when you have the experts in their field out there, you're not really, I want to say defending their diet because they're not defending their proponents of it, but right. talking about what they eat and why they do it. And it's been really interesting because I think that the... The thing that people want to hear from from what I what I get is that everybody wants there to be this one perfect diet for everyone. Yep. I just I'm just going to say up front in the beginning of this podcast that there is no such thing. There there are way too many variables that go into diet, your your history, where you came from, uh, what you've previously eaten, um, your health. There's so many things, uh, environmental toxins, that go into uh, determining what you should or could eat. So if you're out there trying to find the one diet, you're never going to find it. Don't don't even look for it. Oh, I know. And if you guys had time <laughs> to listen to the Rogan podcast this week, so we had we had the one the first one, the Chris Kresser and Joe Kahn. Yep. That was like four hours. Then next we had Dominic Diagostino and Lane Norton. That was about three hours. And then we had Rhonda Patrick in the in a next one. All this was like within the span of like seven days. And um, the Rhonda Patrick, of course, she's always full of, you, you just have to, you can't listen at time and a half on that one like I do most of the time because she's spouting out so much stuff. And she spent about a good, they spent about a good 30 minutes talking carnivore, which yeah. is really interesting. She basically projectile vomits information. It's crazy. Joe Rogan called her, um, I think he's called her a robot before. People say that about her. 
And there was a couple of times she got pretty passionate on this one, and he was like, oh, you're not being a robot. <laughs> she's very, very knowledgeable, and she's got some great information. So we love hearing all that stuff because we're very curious. And when we hear things either that we don't understand or don't agree with, we'll go do research. So we did a lot of extensive research this week on like the history of vegetables and the history of man in general. Like, What did we do in you know prehistoric times? It, yeah, because, you know, that was the one thing after listening to this ridiculous amount of podcasts this week, the one thing that I got from both competing sides, if you want to say comp- competing sides, was that everyone kind of kept saying, you need to eat vegetables. Yeah. You know, I love Dom D'Agostino and all his research, but I'm pretty sure it freaked some of the carnivore side or the, the low plant matter consumers when he said he won't eat meat without eating a cruciferous vegetable and that made me have pause because I really respect what he says and Mm -hmm. thinks yep and so I started doing some digging and you know cruciferous vegetable if you don't know guys it's probably like it's gonna be not probably it's like broccoli asparagus can be thrown in there brussels sprouts it's your cauliflower that everybody's making, you know, cinnamon rolls out of now. <laughs> so, because we're all magicians with cauliflower, apparently, when you stop eating bread. I just made a hat and a suit out of it. You know? look, at my, look at my cauliflower suit. You know, it's crazy. If I get lost, I can eat it. Exactly. So especially if you're going to have your steak, you better whip that thing out. So, <laughs> so, so that made us do some research, hearing, hearing him say that. And why Why would you say you have to eat or he does eat cruciferous vegetables along with his meat? What is the mechanism behind that he's trying to prevent? Right. So, you know, there he was talking about some of the compounds, carcinogens in um, meat consumption, Um And what he was saying was he eats the cruciferous vegetables to mitigate that. And some people, you know, um, are really worried about, I think, that aspect of if you get a char on meat, um, you know, the cancer talk around that is like, if there's char on meat, don't eat it. That's, That's a carcinogen. And so in that whole, I guess, framework of talking about carcinogens and then having to eat vegetables, it kind of spun me up thinking, well, when we started using fire, I wonder if the, the ancestors, our ancestors were like, hey, caveman Joe, <laughs> don't, don't you char. get a char on that meat while you're cooking it on that spit over the fire, man. That's going to give me cancer. They had one guy assigned to the tribe that it was his job to cook. Don't char the meat, Bill. I know. Don't get it too dark. Get it just a little crispy. <laughs> I mean, really, I have to start peeling it back and say, let's get down to the common sense aspect of what we're talking about. Primal man, fire, cooking. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. There's going to be some char on it. There's going to be some char on it. So so uh, as humans, we've built up processes to get rid of all those supposed carcinogens that are in charred meat. We do have a mechanism in our liver to clear those things. And so the next thing is that you know, the cruciferous vegetable. Well, then that started me thinking, okay, how long has broccoli been around? Let's look at broccoli. Mm -hmm. Where did broccoli come from? And, you know, I knew this from culinary school. You go back and we have plants that were wild plants that we cultivated. Everybody knows, well, not everybody, but 
you know, people know that like Thomas Jefferson was a big proponent of traveling and going getting seeds and then cross pollinating and creating different strains of different vegetables. That's been that we, we need a botanist. So to kind of explain some of this stuff, but just looking at it, you can go find this on Wikipedia. You don't have to be a botanist. Wild broccoli. There was one species of plant, and that's where cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, kohlrabi, and broccoli, all these things come from. And if you were to look at it and say, okay, that's what you have to eat with meat, we didn't start cultivating that until, you know, I mean, we were well-developed into homo sapiens. So right. the, the pitfall here is that people look at our, our modern grocery stores and think that these plants that are being displayed out there have been available throughout human history. And and there is nothing farther from the truth. Like like Melody just made the example about broccoli. That, that's only been popular in the U.S. since what, the 1920s? Okay, yeah. That, so you can easily just go look up broccoli on Wikipedia. It'll tell you the history of the cultivation. It was cultivated by careful breeding. That's what it says yeah, right there. They right. carefully bred it so that it would be have a bigger stock, more florets because it looks like a wiry skinny bush in like in the wild. It looks like something that's growing up against our fence out there that we need to pull out. It's not broccoli like you see in the store. And so when it was brought to the US in the 1800s, it didn't even become popular like as an edible food until the 1920s. Yeah, so something that's a major staple of most people's diets, especially if they're trying to be healthy, is broccoli. And that's new to our system, that's new to our culture. It's not something that we had, you know, 1.5 million years ago. Yeah, we're talking like Americans didn't eat this until the 20s. Yeah, so that's super, super, that's a nanosecond in the history of humans. So with that, I'm looking at what Dom says, and I'm like, that does not make sense to me. Right. Why Why would you say that? Now, I, I think he has, he has good intentions. I mean, the guy really, he, you know, he has, he's in great health. He's looking out for his health. So he has good intentions. But a lot of that is just dogma. Like, it's been pushed so much that uh, vegetables are healthy for you. If you exclude them, you're seen as unhealthy. Right. That's so true. And, I mean, I can't even get started on the fact that some of the, that almost all of these people in the recent podcast still harp on calories. Um, I just can't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> so we can go on the whole, uh, you know, Lane Norton, when you go to the Dominic Lane Norton conversation, Lane Norton is a, he's a, if it fits your macros, calories in, calories out, that's all that matters type of person. And, and here's the thing. Does it work aesthetically? Absolutely, 100%. If I wanted to get on stage, he's somebody I would go to right. and, and say, okay, let me let me see what you're doing. I'll try to fix this, work this to where it fits my real food, keto-based diet. Right. So if, if, you so, so if you're trying to do uh, you know, a pro bodybuilder, then using calories to track and to get shredded, it's not a bad thing. But our, our thing is calories, that, that's a thermodynamic measurement. That applies to steam engines and stuff. It doesn't apply to human body, okay? <laughs> to so steam It's a steam engine. So when you take a calories, which is a kilojoule, which is a, uh, a unit of measurement of heat, and try to apply it to the human physiology, it totally breaks down in theory. It does not work. And so that's yeah. why we rage against, we say calories are not important. And we, I know we say a lot of calories don't matter. They matter in a sense, but it's nutrients that it's matter. It's nutrients that matter. When you're hungry, when you dial in your diet, which is what I, I think... We would both say we found this, that after we took out all the crap out of our diet, mm-hmm. we regulated our blood sugar and got got that under control because that's the driver of hunger 
many times is just blood sugar dysregulation. But once you get that under control, you start feeling hunger differently. It's that your body needs a nutrient. It's not that it just, it's not like mindless eating. You don't go snack for no reason. Your body is saying, I need something. Right. And that's why uh, you track that back to when people eat rice or oatmeal or, or pasta, that they get hungry. You talk about it. Like an hour later, I'm hungry. Why is that? That was because your body got no nutrients in that previous meal, and so your body is now screaming for nutrients. Right. So your blood sugar got dysregulated, so it it probably bottomed out. You got hungry, and the reason why is the blood sugar dysregulation, and then on top of that, you really didn't get anything because they'll say, oh, you know, you can get B vitamins from um, these grains or this oatmeal or whatever, but you really can't because it's not absorbable. And I I do want to... Uh, touch on that for a second because Chris Kresser said something really important in that Joe Rogan podcast when they were talking um, because Joel Kahn, the vegan cardiologist, talked about how, you know, vegans, he supplements every day. Yeah, because you, you have to. Now, he tried to say that some don't need to, but I think he's just saying that. We know that you have to get B vitamins from a supplementation. Not very many people are eating, vegans are eating the right nutrients or sea vegetables or whatever to get that. And then in that, Chris Kresser was talking about how we get vegetables, you know, people will eat vegetables and they're trying to get B12 out of that in right. the colon. But he said something so, just so telling right here. You can't absorb it in the colon. You, like, once you make it in the colon, you can't absorb it in the small intestine. Why? Because digestion doesn't move backwards. What? It doesn't. Your food doesn't go back up into your body and come back down? So this led me on to that thing how I've heard so many times that you need to eat the green vegetables so that you can extract B vitamins from them. Well, or you need to eat whole grains because they'll ferment and then you can pull and extract the B B12 out of it when it gets down into your colon. But the key thing he said was that you can't absorb it from there. So it's not absorbable in the colon. So it's basically, like we talked about, it's doing no good. And that's why when you eat these foods, your body gets no nutrients and you're going to be very hungry very soon afterwards. Yeah. And B12 deficiency... Like, there's no going back once it's gone too far. And it's hard to detect. That was another point they made, is that uh, the deficiency, it's hard to detect in your blood serum. And by the time they detect it, it's basically too late. Yeah. Like, you've already caused damage. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was so interesting because even in my own personal nutrition training, there are some times when it is said that you need to eat these certain foods so that you can have these B, this B12 into your colon and the whole point is to get the B12 out of it, which is apparently um, not able to be absorbed well, at I don't, that, by that point. I don't know about anybody else, but when I would eat oatmeal um, because I ate it because it's healthy, oatmeal is healthy, in about an hour, I felt like I had a hole in my stomach and I would get so hungry, I would eat cardboard. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like having oatmeal for breakfast in an hour, I wanted to kill somebody yeah. because I was so hungry again. And I would think... My gosh, why did, how do those people 
who say they eat this and they stay full for hours, are they liars? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The, I thought the, the same heck? thing. Like, like how, how are they eating this and saying they're full when I eat it and within a short amount of time, I'm so hungry. I'll, I'll eat anything. And I make and then I would make the poor food mistake. I would eat oatmeal to be healthy and then I would get so hungry, I'd be like, give me a box of donuts. Right. And that kind of also leads into the whole, when we're asking for this one diet for everybody that works for everyone, there are some people that can eat that oatmeal and they will stay full for a really long time because they're freaks of nature. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> no, they're, they're not broken. They're not broken. Their microbiome is working correctly. And if you, if you're a, a person and I have friends like this who never drank alcohol, never smoked cigarettes, they ate mostly uh, fruits and vegetables and meat, and they did not eat a poor diet. You know, they're still, uh, you know, 45, between 45 and 50, and they still eat that way, and they're perfectly healthy. It, yeah, and that's a good, healthy microbiome, really good blood sugar regulation. No one, it's the person who's gotten good sleep, who's taking care of themselves, exercised. Um, sometimes it's just a, it's just good, clean living. That's all you can say. Good, Good clean, clean living. living. And some luck. And some luck. Absolutely. Um, you know, all of this goes back to, all the way back to your mother. Like, in in the womb, what was your mom doing? Did you get a good start at a healthy life? Mm-hmm. Like, were you? did you have a good gut microbiome from the beginning? That makes a huge difference when it comes to the diet and the, and the way that you can eat as an adult and how you go into life. It's really amazing. And, and this is very important because uh, people have to know that, that, you know, you, you have to have a clean microbiome to absorb everything. And going back to the, the Joel Kahn and the Chris Kresser, which it was a, it was a good interview, but I didn't like, uh, again, you have to judge the source. The Joel Kahn guy had a lot of smart aleck comments. Yeah, he was he was kind of um, kind of a douchebag. He was, and one of the things he said, and this is again when people are trying to sway your opinion by emotions and not using real science. And this is a guy who's supposed to be a premier cardiologist in, yeah. the, in the world, and he's made a statement that I've never scooped sugar out of anybody's arteries. arteries. Yeah. Okay, dude, don't be. If if you believe that that sugar can get in your arteries, then you're a complete dumbass. And how are you a cardiologist? How is that possible? Yeah. So that statement. He said it was only cholesterol. Well, that statement is just to scare people. Everybody knows sugar doesn't get into your arteries; that it's cholesterol buildup. But the cholesterol is there to heal damage from the sugar. So, again, that right there is is what I hear a lot from the vegan world: is those emotionally charged scare tactics to get people to eat vegetables. Yeah, and I mean, Chris called him out on that one. It was pretty good because. He, he said, come on, y'all, you know that why the cholesterol is there. Well, an intelligent person that's trying to make an intelligent argument should never say something as stupid as that. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't try to scare people that way. But that is kind of like the whole gist of the vegan community right now. We have it happen on our social media all the time. Oh, yeah. So we so we had, uh, sometimes we share our, our social media shenanigans, we like to call them. And we got some comments from... Uh, someone this week on Instagram. I call uh, them vegan trolls. Vegan trolls. And uh, apparently they wanted to bow up on the Tactical Kitchen, which is a huge mistake. Big mistake. Especially... Big, like Julia Roberts says. Huge, huge mistake. Huge mistake because we often come informed to any conversation. And if I'm uninformed in the conversation, I'm going to ask you to inform me. And I'm okay with that because I like 
I like information. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm also someone who will challenge whatever you have to say if I don't believe in it. So I'm not going to back off. And <laughs> So for some reason, this person brought up the... Um, What's the guy's name? Chase? Uh, uh, no, it's the Into the Wild. The Into the Wild guy. Guy that went out into the Alaskan wild, gave up all his worldly possessions, and, and decided he was going to survive in the wild in Alaska. Right. Which, hey, that's 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 awesome. I'm not going to uh, knock anything this guy did. It was very uh, cool that I mean that was his idea, and I understand why he was trying to do it. But he wound up dying, and. She brought it up. I, I never even, I haven't seen the movie or read the book, and I never paid much attention to the story. But what she said was if is if he had had seeds, that he could have survived longer in the wild. Well, I'll read exactly what she said. If he had had a bag of seeds with him, he would have been all right. He could have managed to grow enough food to survive while he hunted. Why do you think throughout the, throughout history that seeds, all in capitals, have been the most prized, precious, traded belonging to humans. Seeds are life. Get with the program, man. So, so again, not knowing anything about this story, what did we do? We did our research. So we, I never watched the movie or read the book. I, I didn't, and that was no no personal bias. Just never got around to it. No. Um, and it turns out what killed him was seeds. Yeah. So the author of his story that you know after they found him. And uh, they found his journals, obviously, and went through them. The guy who wrote the book was puzzled forever by his death. Like, you can go find all this stuff online. So the author of the book started investigating what he was eating in the journal and found that the seeds, that these wild potato seeds he was eating, he was like, uh, even the guy put in the journal that it's the potato seeds. Basically, I feeling well, weak. Right. The potato seeds. It's because of the potato seeds. And then, so what you, what you find out later is the author, he went through all this time, through all these years, sending these seeds and having universities study them, try to find the toxin. They finally did. Short, Long story short, there is not the toxin they originally thought, but it was an amino acid in the seed of a wild potato plant that actually mimics arginine in the body but what it does is it confuses the metabolism it shuts down the the cells and then what it does is it causes paralysis which is irreversible right so so the original cause of death was stated as starvation right which made no sense because one of the things they found and it was funny that this person told me if he had seeds they found bags of seeds yeah they found like gallon-sized bags of these potato seeds. And that's how they finally traced it down to. They had those seeds tested, and guess what? Those seeds are toxic, and he was eating them. Yeah, and so within two weeks of apparently in his journal of starting to really eat these seeds to, and what was he doing? He would have been hunting squirrels and small animals and eating those, and he has pictures and and, and um, journaling of what he had been eating. But to supplement... And notice I said to supplement the right, meat right. that he was eating, he went and gathered seeds and these seeds and these mushrooms. And when he gathered all these seeds to start supplementing his diet, when he started eating them, he started getting sick. Then he couldn't hunt. And that is why he starved. Because he became paralyzed. Within two weeks, he was completely paralyzed and he died. Yeah, so, so again... 
someone calling us out on social media about how if someone would have seeds, they would have died. I mean, survived when actually the seeds caused them to die. I thought was so just so, so ironic. ironic. I couldn't I believe it. You know, even the uh, the the professor that in the, all of this like investigation on what this person was, this guy was eating. He said that if he would not have eaten these potato seeds, that he would have walked out of, you know, his situation out of the wilderness just as easily as he walked in. But it was because of the seeds that he ate. And they wanted to caution people because the book that this young man had, um, it was, you know, that he was using to pick out what he could eat while he was out in the wilderness it did not say that the seeds contained a toxin. So he didn't know. He was doing what he could. Right. He was using a handbook to pick out what he could eat while he was foraging. And still, it, he picked out something that killed him because the book was not comprehensive. And and this goes into not plants are not always good for you. And this whole thing that a plant-based diet is good for you is very dangerous because a lot of plants are trying to kill you. And so Rhonda Patrick, who I call her, she's a micronutrient warrior. Yeah, she, she is, loves she the micronutrients. praises the micronutrients. I, I would rather focus on macronutrients because they're bigger. But, well, you know. Well, okay, right. But you have to have the micronutrients you to do. be able to do all the different functions of the body. But typically, what we eat contain those macronutrients. Right. But when you focus only on the on the, the micronutrients in plants, but you don't focus on the toxins in plants. Right. You're you're blinded to the truth. Because what that one professor said that I was mentioning a, a moment ago, and I can't recall his name, um, he said that there are so many plants out there that you can eat one part of and be fine. But if you eat the stem or the leaf or another part or the seed, you die. Right. And this is really important when people are saying that our ancestors lived primarily on these plants. You have to know all of those little pieces of information. Right. And so, again, this goes back to doing some more research. And I had read a book called uh, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. (laughs) I like the way you say Uh, that. Harari. You didn't do an interesting intro this week. I didn't, I didn't have one. Okay. I'll come up with one, though. Um, so I, I read Sapiens, which is, which is basically just a book on human history. That's all it is. Yeah. And one of the key things that uh, he notes throughout the book, and even he says that we were, we were foragers. Most of our calories probably came from, from gathering. But one of his points in the book was also that everywhere that humans showed up in history, animals disappeared. We're scary. No, I'm not Sherlock Holmes. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't do a total FBI investigation into this, uh, you know, observation. But did you get a study? I did not get a study. I did not get a, a randomly controlled clinically trial study to do this. But if, if it's an observation that every time humans showed up, the animal population depleted, I'm going to go with we're eating them anim- the animals. We're eating those critters. We're eating them to extinction. Well, we were hungry. We're hungry. Yeah. So that is an interesting point, though, is that where we show up, animals disappear. And a lot of times, uh, we were talking about this yesterday, these were large animals. Well, let's say the mammoth. We don't have mammoths anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So pretty confident we don't have any of those. The elephant is kind of like a mammoth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But less hairy, kind of like a a bald mammoth. A groomed mammoth. A groomed. A manscaped mammoth. <laughs> so when you look at them and how long that it takes for a gestational period, it's like, what, two years? 
close to two years, mm-hmm. something yep. like that. And mammoths were the same way. So the bigger, larger animals had a longer period of digest of uh, gestation for you know creating another yep. animal, uh, having a baby. And so they're not populating quite as fast as the smaller animals. So it would be easy to just like eat them and they would go into extinction pretty quickly. Right. And that was the point in that he even made in that book was that if you kill the large animals at a high rate, they just they can't recover. They're, they're, they're going to go to extinction. And that's it happened with not only the mammoths, but uh, huge marsupials in Australia. 45,000 years ago, humans showed up, uh, you know, in Australia, and then all of a sudden, all these huge marsupials just disappeared. Right. And, you know, we can look at that and we can say, oh my gosh, well, maybe we shouldn't eat animals because we're, we're slaying them all and they're going into extinction. But this is where we became smart. Well, all these experts on the you know Joe Rogan show the past week, they all dissed the carnivore diet. They all said that it wasn't sustainable or it wasn't uh, nutrient dense enough or it mimicked calorie restriction and starvation. So like they didn't believe in it. So I guess 1.5 million years of human existence and the, uh, our known zest for eating animals was not enough proof. Well, you know, when we look at that, you start seeing that throughout history, people started hurting. We became smart. We're like, okay, we're not going to have enough food, so we're going to domesticate some of these animals. Right. And we're going to let them procreate, and <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have continuous food supply. People did not travel and move around as nomads bringing their crops with them because that's <laughs> impossible. But they did move around with goats and cattle, ox, sheep, what, whatever, animals they could move around with they weren't mammoths because we ate them all well you know there's so many uh revolutions that go on uh, the industrial um revolution the and the cognitive revolution is one of the ones that they point out that happened seventy thousand years ago which coincides with a huge animal die-off which we started eating a lot of animals we started hunting right and you know that it's attributed to our our ability to think reason have bigger brains, live, and then we started wanting to live together in society. Now, nobody can say that that's absolutely what we did. We weren't there. There's no No, time machine to go back. Absolutely, This is all anecdotal information that you kind of put together. But, uh, you know, uh, tribes didn't do cave paintings of of these awesome vegetables. (laughs) What was that thing? Okay, so we watched a TED Talk also this week. And it was a case against the paleo diet. Yes. But ironically, everything she said made a case for the fact that we did eat meat. Right. Every picture of a Neanderthal or, which I always pronounced Neanderthal, but found out over the last long period. If you're educated and snooty, you say Neanderthal. You do because the H is silent. Just for you guys who didn't know that. Um (laughs) When you're having so, these bar conversations, when you're <laughs> when, when you're talking to people about Neanderthals, because um, they were tall, but every single depiction of them is a person with a spear, a sharp spear. <laughs> right. Every in time their she, hand. every time she showed Neanderthals, they were holding a spear with a sharp pointy end. I'm like, well, was he defending himself against vegetables? What was he doing? I know. So you know, they, we've got. She was the one that was pointing out like all the toxins in the plants, and I was like, you realize you're like making a point 
against your own like thing you're trying to prove. It was really comical. So um, it, it wasn't it wasn't great. I don't. I I was like, ah, oh, you just actually argued yourself against a wall that we were eating meat. Right. She she tried to use bone mineral testing. When when you test uh, bone minerals, it can tell you basically what you what your diet was comprised of. And and when uh, anthropologists test bone minerals, we show up on the carnivore side. Yeah. And what was funny was she she was showing that she was yeah. showing these charts where we kept ending up on the in the chart with the carnivores. But it was like we don't really understand why. <laughs> it was like what? What? Well, she was what? trying trying to dispel it because in one of the one of the things that um, it was a mammoth also showed up in the carnivore from bone mineral testing. So she said it wasn't accurate. Is what what her point was? Right. And our our thought on that was that when we've also talked about uh, animals who are mostly herbivore and they eat all of that plant matter it turns to saturated fat and um you know they extract b vitamins and amino acids and all these things out of this plant matter which we can't do that Mm -hmm. as efficiently um we're just not built that way and so they that's just interesting there's no i mean i know a lot of those things are not completely accurate anyway but it was interesting how humans just in Neanderthals or Neanderthals ended up on the carnivore spectrum at every single testing that they did. Yeah. But the the answer was we don't really know how to explain that. You know, <laughs> I just thought that was you know interesting. Yeah, she had a couple other examples of why um, humans wouldn't be carnivores. One of them was we don't make our own vitamin C. Yeah. Which most animals that are strictly you know obligate carnivores they make their own vitamin they make C. It, yeah. But what they don't tell you is, and and her point was, so we had to eat fruits and vegetables because we had to get vitamin C. Mm-hmm. There is vitamin C in fresh meat. There is. And that was one of the things on the Rhonda Patrick, Joe Rogan show she talked about with the carnivore diet and why that she doesn't think that it is safe. Um, but, you know, a lot of the talk in the carnivore world is that we need less vitamin C when we're not competing with vitamin C and glucose at the same time for that receptor. And she went into a lot of different biochemical processes that happen. And she's a smart person. Mm-hmm. She yeah. knows her stuff. But I will say that there are times when a scientist can get so far down in the weeds of what they want to know be and be true that they they just miss the fact that all these people are getting really healthy by eating this way, and no one's coming down with scurvy. So Nobody. No the, one. the idea was like, maybe everybody's lying, or <laughs> it's a placebo effect, or they're all supplementing and they're not telling anybody. Right. So, you know, and do we supplement? Yes, we take a multivitamin. Yes, we do. I, I've taken it, and I've not taken it. And when I say I've not taken it, I've not taken it for like two months at a time. And I've been fine. And then sometimes I'm like, ah, it doesn't hurt me to take it. So why not? I've got it. It's going to go bad in my cabinet if I don't take it. So it's a high quality. And it's one of those one of those things we've been pushed about the multivitamin, which I saw all the story about the Flintstones vitamins when we were kids and how toxic they were. Uh-huh. That was a good story. I didn't see that. Oh, my gosh. I'll pull it up later. But, you know, Flintstone vitamins and all the toxic stuff they actually had in it. Yeah. It was not good for us. 
don't oh, don't crap. give your, don't give your kids Flintstone vitamins. I don't like candy. But we've been pushed to you know you got to supplement with this multivitamin to be healthy. Why why is that? Well, because people want to sell stuff, and yeah. they're selling us multivitamins. So so we're kind of. Uh, you know, indoctrinated into that, you got to take a multivitamin. Well, the vitamin supplement com- uh, era did not even happen until the 1970s. Right. So keep that in mind when we're talking about human history. <laughs> the before that, the uh, the multivitamin was an egg. And I really love eggs, and I do think that, and you know, eggs are a daily multivitamin. So, you know, we get that question a lot: Do we eat grass-fed beef? Do we eat conventional beef? What do we choose? Um, that I I buy what I can afford. I try to because we eat eggs so much during the day, and I know that they are that considered that multivitamin. Mm-hmm. I'm a little pickier on my eggs. Like I'll buy a higher quality egg versus a you know worrying so much about the beef. And you can you know send messages, say whatever you want. That's what I do. That's what I choose to do. I feel fine doing that. Oh, we feel. Great. And we talk about our health all the time, and I feel like my health is really good right now. And I would not uh, give or have my, my son or or my daughter or talk to my family and recommend a diet that I did not think was healthy. Oh, uh uh-uh. And that's one of the things when people talk about, you're only doing this you know, because it's a fad, or you're only doing this because it's cool. It's the longest fad I've ever seen. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this because I want optimal health. If I, did not, if I did not feel I was going in that direction, I would not do this. Okay, so the fad thing. Let's hit on oh that. Oh, my God, the fad. And that was the other thing that was said several times about the carnivore diet throughout these podcasts is that it's the newest thing. It's a fad. We don't have any research on it. I just want to point out the 1.5 million years of human history. Where we know we ate animals, and we ate them. Again, we ate a lot of them. When you when you find caves that where tribes lived— they find tons of animal bones. Mm-hmm. It's not like we were beating the crap out of animals and throwing them in the back of the cave and laughing about it. No, I don't think that was <laughs> we were We were eating those animals. Animals. A- animals. What the heck? <laughs> anyway, we were eating those animals. I got I to gotta go into my James L. Jones voice and oh talk very God. distinct. We were eating animals. Now, that doesn't mean we ate animals for every meal, and that was our primary source. Uh, we, we could have had animals once a day or once every three days. I don't know, we, and we're never going to know. Right. What was it, like 300,000 years ago, we have the daily occurrence of fire usage that they know that humans used fire? Right, and that's when they can. Well, that goes three they, or 400,000 years ago-ish. That we know that we humans... We can pinpoint that. Yeah, we can pinpoint that humans were using fire pretty much every single day. I don't know if they were eating broccoli with their meat. I'm really worried all of them died from cancer. <laughs> I always wonder how we started cooking animals. And there's a lot of theories on this that there was a forest fire or, you know, fires happened and we we smelled the meat and, and humans started to eat it. Uh, how did that happen? Again, nobody's ever going to know. It's no. all theories. But, no. But there's no argument that we ate meat. Right. There's really not. And, you know, uh, we've we've also come across the argument this week with vegan population that, and we've heard this before, we don't have the teeth for <laughs> the killing of animals. Yeah. And because we don't have the carnivore canines, we don't have the long pointy canines, but we, we also know that there are plenty of vegetarian herbivore animals that do have these long pointy teeth. Right, and that was my point, is saying that we don't have pointy teeth 
So we're not, we can't chew the meat. But I'm like, well, why did gorillas and other monkeys and we, you know, people. I don't even remember what that one monkey we, that one primate we looked at this week. And it was a long haired, golden long haired uh, monkey. I can't remember what it was called. Man, they had huge. Dang, it was like the predator face. Right. Huge, huge teeth. And they don't eat meat. No, they, what do they use their teeth for? They use it to show, like the males use their teeth. When they want to assert themselves, like their their lip <laughs> it rolls up over their gum, and it is so freaking scary. They use it as like a, a bowing, bowing up on each other. Yeah. So looking at humans to go, oh, we don't have teeth to tear meat, so we didn't eat meat is just you're just making observational assumptions. That's all you're doing. Yeah, and you know you have to go back to stunt. I always go back to digestion. I mean. You look at our, they give the argument about our digestive tract all the time. Here's the thing. The stomach is the magic pot right there. Mm -hmm. It will melt a piece of meat into pea soup. You could swallow a chunk of meat. If you've got adequate stomach acid, which most of you probably don't, and you might need to get with me to let us fix that. (laughs) (laughs) So when we have the appropriate human stomach acid secretion, then we're able to swallow a piece of meat without chewing it, so to speak. You, you probably want to chew it because you want to taste it. And then it goes into your stomach. It actually gets propelled around by the stomach muscle, uh, the muscle of the stomach there. And then it basically melts in this acid. Right. I mean, you think about, think about it, acid. It's like almost as strong as, like, it's like battery acid. If you poured it on the floor, it'd melt a hole in your floor. But what, can it not break down? It can't break down cellulose. It ever, <laughs> ever, ever. Read you have to poop that out. Vegetables, okay? You can't break down cellulose. So, you know, carnivores, uh, and, and a dog's not even a carnivore. He's he's kind of a, like us, a little bit of an omnivore. But, you know, they they'll, don't. They'll eat some grass, but they, they do have a strong stomach acid. Well, they don't chew their food. Dogs don't chew their food. What 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 are humans? Were we supposed to chew our food like forty times or yeah, something? Yeah, some people say thirty, some people say forty. Whatever. I I've even said it. I have swallowed my meat basically whole just to see if it makes me feel bad, and nothing happens. No, but the reason why you have to chew carbohydrates is because the magic happens in your mouth. You have to break those carbohydrates down in your mouth to let salivary amylase start breaking those compounds apart. Then when you swallow it and it gets down into your colon, finally when it makes its way down there, that's where the magic really happens um, on the undigestible fibers that all vegetables contain. Mm-hmm. So that's where you really have to, you have to have a good colon bacteria for that. And there was so much that I, I gathered this week. We'll never get through all of it. Um, there is the fact about the human microbiome, but it's what you eat. What you're eating dictates your microbiome. If you're eating a carnivore-based diet, your microbiome is going to adjust to that, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a good microbiome for you. If you start eating carbohydrates, you have to produce the gut bugs to be able to break down those carbohydrates in that colon to try to extract some of the butyrate and some of the um, uh, different B vitamins, which can't apparently be absorbed back up into the body, but (laughs) the butyrate and the saturated fat that comes from those, which Mm -hmm. we can get that so easily from meat without 
it's just less effort. And what I've discovered all throughout the last couple of weeks is that the basis of human existence is laziness. We are lazy. Oh, we can get into whole why humans are lazy. Everything we invented was because we're lazy. We started using fire to cook meat because, you know, we wanted to cook meat and eat it. Well, it's easier to chew when it's it's, easy, it's easier to chew. So yeah. hence, we're lazy. Yeah. Uh, we didn't it like tastes to, good too. We didn't like to walk long distances. So what happened? We started riding riding animals. Riding them. Hence, we're lazy. And then we invented cars because we're lazy. And then we invented airplanes because we're lazy. If you look at all those. And now things, we have click and shop and pull up and have someone else put my groceries in my car because <laughs> I'm lazy. If you tip the guy, he'll put it in your in your refrigerator and your cabinets. I mean, it's just crazy. We have developed so. We are so smart. We've developed so many ways to not exert energy. Right. And when you look at the fact that they will say that our human brain is not different than it was 1.5 million years ago or the dawn of Homo sapiens, uh, at that at that point in history, we're not different than that primal man. That primal man was looking for ways to make life easier because life was hard. Right. Life was extremely hard. And when I say people are lazy, I'm not tr- trying to use that as derogatory. I'm just saying as anecdotally, we come up with things because we don't want to work harder than we have to. And I think that really goes back to that primal brain, what we would call the lizard brain. Because in human history, if you think about it, you had to conserve your energy to go and find food. Right. But the problem with us now is that we get in a car, we drive to the store and sometimes we get out and go find the food around the grocery store or sometimes we just pull up and let someone put it in the car (laughs) or there's even the chance that you might sit down at your house or on your phone click it on there and have amazon fresh deliver it right to your door and then all you have to do is go put it in the fridge yeah i mean we've developed all of those things so that we don't have to work hard and if we think that we're different than primal man well we're not. We're just we're just able to create more and more. We've gotten very smart. We've become technologically advanced to the point where we're killing ourselves with the lack of movement. We're a very efficient species and we we're are. efficiently killing ourselves with with, with efficiency. Foods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, anyway, we've we talked about a lot. It was a huge week. There's so much to talk about and again, we can't do a 4-hour podcast. Uh, you like, don't want that. Like Joe Rogan does. Nobody wants that. Um, so if you have questions about anything we've talked about, please feel free to send them to us. We love getting questions because we like doing research and finding out more information about all this great, great stuff that we've talked about. It's been such an interesting week. And I guess the big takeaway from all of these podcasts is that, you know, whether someone says your carnivore diet, your keto diet, or whatever diet you're on, when they say, oh, you're getting healthier and it's just a placebo effect... <laughs> Really, it maybe it is because our brains are very powerful, and when we tell ourselves we're going to feel better, we are going to feel better. There is an aspect to that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. There is no one diet that's perfect for everyone. Um, you have here's the hard part: you have to experiment on yourself, and you have to find what works for you, and that's going to take time. And there is no shortcut. To doing that, if you found yourself in a place where you're very unhealthy right now, it's not going to be a super short road to gain your health back. 
that's not how it really works, but it can be done through a good diet. And what good is to me might be different for you. Now, does the placebo effect uh, also include running 400-meter repeats and building muscle and crushing workouts? Is that also a placebo effect? <laughs> if it is, I sure do like it. <laughs> so I'm digging this total placebo effect. It is it is building my muscle for me and making me in better shape. So I'll take it. Yeah, I know. So, the, yeah, that we didn't even talk about that. Oh, my gosh. This week has been like... Well, we interviewed Kristen Rao last week, and after talking to her, I wanted to go. I wanted to go crush every workout. So <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. It was a it, great week of working out. You know, I ran six miles on Monday. It felt so easy. I was like, "What?" And part of that was that I told myself it was going to be easy. Yeah, that was part of it. So mindset, all these things, placebo, carnivore. I mean, it, it all. It's all been working for us. Right. That placebo effect of that that fat melting off of my stomach, it's... Yeah, since that one person on YouTube said, you're fat, I'm not listening to you about nutrition (laughs) advice. We get some really (laughs) ugly comments sometimes, but most of you guys are super awesome and we really appreciate you listening. Yes. Um, We've had a lot of fun going over some of these studies. It's more than... It's more than enough for anybody (laughs) to listen to all this. It's a lot of information. So if you had time to listen to any of them and you want to comment on our podcast and leave us some uh, info on what you learned, please be sure and subscribe and like and share and leave us a review on iTunes. We don't ask you to do that very often, but it sure would help out. Apparently, that's a thing. Yep. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So uh, have a good day. Go out there, eat fat, and prosper. Thanks for listening to The Tactical Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to vtkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.